Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu, I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halvesies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's up, everybody? It's the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is RJ. I am fresh from not going to any Madison Square Garden fish concerts, but I'm here, luckily, with two gentlemen who did go to some, Matt and Jonathan. What's up, guys? Hey, hey. Hey there. 
So we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about was Trey stuck, which we're going to answer later. <laughs> you can't you can't answer it now, but we have a lot of opinions. We actually have several strong opinions, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about was this the best fish New Year's run in years and other things that may be obvious. Um, guys, did you guys um, did you guys have fun at those concerts that you were at, respectively? Yes. Yes, yes I did. indeed. <laughs> so, uh, overall, uh, I guess first before we get into it, I want to say that there's a few things. One is that um, next week we're going to have a new Osiris podcast called Freak Flag Flying coming out, episode one. David Crosby being interviewed by Steve Silberman. The trailer is available now. We'll put a link in the show notes. I know that Matt and Jonathan have both listened to the trailer, and I know that Jonathan is excited for the first episode. I am very excited for every single episode. Put it, give it to me now. Put it in my brain, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's really exciting. It's going to be good. Yeah, I'm stoked. We've been. Um, I, I haven't been directly working on this one uh, that much with you guys, but I've been so excited to hear what um, what's going to transpire here. I mean, I love following David Crosby on Twitter. He's got uh, a great mind still. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that recent documentary um, that Cameron Crowe did. Really, really awesome. And um, I know he and Steve Silberman are super good buds. So uh, I think the conversation is going to be really interesting. Looking forward to that. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm really excited about that documentary too, but I just haven't had an opportunity and time and place and whatnot. But uh, yeah, Silverman is, he's a great writer and he's been hes been known to the deadheads for a long time around our scene because he's done some books in that uh, area in the past. Uh, but this friendship with David should, it should produce a hell of a conversation. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. So check that out uh, January 6th. And if um, if anyone's going to be in New York for the Brooklyn Podcast Festival, or if you're going to be in New York because you live there, uh, January 23rd, come hang out with us. We're going to be interviewing two of the guys from Goose, and they're going to be playing acoustic songs while we talk to them. That's going to be fun. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. If you're around New York or you want to come hang out with us, me and Tom, and, and meet a couple of the guys from Goose, January 23rd. Okay, so guys, before we get into... The specifics of the New Year's shows. This this run, I mean, I think it was pretty incredible. It, to me, it's probably the strongest MSG or New Year's run since maybe 2013. I don't know if we want to go right into, you know, ranking things and talking about things in that way. But to me, this was an incredibly strong run. Did you guys have any takeaways from that, especially because you guys actually saw some of the concerts? Well, you know, um, I, I'll go ahead and say now I didn't see the 28th but obviously I've heard it and uh, I don't go in for ranking or I try to avoid crazy superlatives like that to most of the time, but I think it's really consistently good. And that's something a lot of people are claiming they don't hear it in fish right now. And I would say this, these four shows stand up against the rest of the year really well. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I think they were, from what I saw, and I saw the 29th and 30th uh, webcasted, that's the 28th in real time, and have listened to the 29th. Um, I would put it up there with the better New Year's runs in 3.0. I think last year's was pretty strong, 15, 13. Um, there's a couple of years in there where th I think they were decidedly um, not the best years, just a little bit dull overall. Um, 
I think that the other thing is if when you compare this run to the fall tour, I think it's head and shoulders above all of the shows uh, on that tour. I think there was a lot of people that were kind of disappointed in the playing on that tour. Um, I just saw that one show at the Met and I thought it was fine, but um, the other stuff that I heard I wasn't too impressed with. Uh, and I thought this was a great run from start to finish just in terms of um, interesting music that was that was really well played. It seemed like their hearts were in it. I, I should also add, I didn't see New Year's, but that seemed for some reason not important enough to mention when I was qualifying before. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, the contrast between these shows and fall tour seems so stark. And I I don't know, that's not usually the case, even when they do play, you know, a fall tour that, you know, like the 2016, 2018. I don't know, there, there hasn't been this much of a contrast. Do you guys think that there's anything to it or is it just how it shook out like it was i don't know i don't know if there's a way to answer that but it just it seems so much different than a lot of other fall tours then going into to an msg run well i mean this fall tour was not really like other fall tours it was it was a small tour and i feel a lot of people thought they didn't have enough time to get a consistent groove on so if you just look at it uh, look at it as a couple of short runs then they just weren't as consistent as they were on this particular run. Uh, a lot of people are attributing it to being Madison Square Garden. Trey talked in that recent uh, serious interview about their comfort in Madison Square Garden, how he knows all the people, he knows the sound, he knows how long it'll take for his guitar note to bounce back at him and stuff like that. Um, there's got to be at least a little bit of something to that, uh, comfort and relaxation walking in the door. But maybe there's something else. Maybe we don't. We're missing a piece of the story. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think the, in addition to those things, um, sometimes what I see is the years where they feel really um, – I'll, I'll say this actually kind of ironically. The years that they seems like they feel very confident about the gag, things go a little bit better, um, which is – you know, every despite everything that happened last night, I actually do think that they felt like they had something really awesome and were like really excited and and kind of um you know stoked going into it. The other thing is that I I think there's something going on with Trey's guitar. Um, his tone was unbelievable the whole run, and it's almost like he's made some sort of switch that um. You know, I can't put my finger on, but like maybe it's a, it's it's something that he's really getting used to now. Um, you know, we saw like for example when he made his big pedal board change a couple years ago, like it took a bunch of shows for him to really really get used to that. That's where my infamous dicking around with his pedal board comment. Um, I think that was at the Baker's Dozen came from. Um, and then you see like a tour or two later, like it doesn't matter. He's just like knows how to work with that stuff. And there's, I don't, I can't, I don't know what it is, but there's something that's going on that his, his tone is amazing. And I feel it, like it has him playing incredibly confidently as a guitar player, because pretty much everybody I talked to agreed um, that he was the standout uh, MVP of this run. I mean, his playing was just, just outstanding. And, and it bears noting a lot of people have been, you know, flagging everybody else as MVP for the previous several tours. Right. It's, you know, it's and and this is, I'm sure, no knock on Mike Page and Fish for the New Year's run, but Trey really is. He stepped up big. Yeah. Should we get Should we get into these shows? Let's do no, it. No, I don't think no. so. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think Too we should talk about the concerts. You, I think that's it. <laughs> I think we should cut it here. So that was good. 
All right, I think let's you play guys character for zero for everybody in uh, college <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, I thought I thought Trey was by far like the standout. It was really awesome. All right, the twenty eighth. You guys didn't see that show, so don't come in here acting like you got things to say about the twenty eighth. <laughs> um, all right, so the twenty eighth, there was some some shit going on. Um, debut song to open the run, evening song, which. Um, you know, a debut song to open a run is is a unique situation, I think. Um, I haven't run the numbers because I don't know how, but um, it's not a, you know, it's a, that seems like a real confident move to come out and open an MSG run with a brand new song you have never played before, but they wasted no time getting into it in that first set of the 28th. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I think they, it's, it's the thing they talked about, like after Wingsuit is they, they trust the audience. They feel the audience trusts them. Here's a new song. And even if you hate it, it's, it's not long and they get into no men's and down with disease. They get right into this stuff. Um, and then a new was, that was a Mike song, right? 2020 vision. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then ghost, which, uh, I picked up the, the shade tease in that I'm going to continue to claim full credit for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a good ghost though. That's, uh, kind of got down in there. Not at super long, but, rocking and i think that's kind of the story of this whole set yeah it's weird to see down with disease like in the third slot in the first set but it really it worked worked really well um and i think it was like 13 minutes long or something and man they were they were wasting no time and then another ghost that was almost 13 minutes so i feel like that that set delivered and um you know there were still 12 songs or or so but there was not like the Oh, there's like, you know, 15 three-minute songs. There, You got several several really good jams in there, which I think is a good way to set up the the second set. Um, might, might we call them micro jams? Nope. Okay. No, they were macro. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid they were macro. Uh, 12 minutes is the, is the, is the limit. Um, uh, I'll check that out then. Yeah. Um, and then set two, everything's right, which I just thought is, it's just such a great jam vehicle. I, I thought this whole show just had this like, flow where the the jams worked and they seemed to be exploring like new space it just it sounded so much different from anything i had heard in the fall tour but i might have just been listening differently than i was a couple months ago matt did you did you feel like these 1228 jams like sounded different or or felt different from anything from fall tour or was it like a continuation yeah, it's, it did sound different uh, to me than Fall Tour did. A lot more interesting just in terms of the places that they took them. They they didn't seem to be falling back on, on the old bag of tricks a lot, which is kind of what the fall felt like to me. Um, you had that more kind of out there driving Trey guitar. Um, he was playing very confident leads, and I think that's a, a huge change. Um, so it, I think for a night one, really good. The the set, the first set, uh, which you didn't ask about, but I'll give you my opinion anyway, um, is <laughs> was good. Very uh, un, un, like very un first set for a run type of first set. They didn't do any of their kind of old war horses. You usually hear like a stash or a wolfman's or something in that set. Um, but then you know, as I look at the, across the whole show, the other thing that sticks out to me is there's a lot of. Um, busting of predictions of what people thought was going to be the midnight uh song so you know you get 20 years later disease uh no men um i called beneath the sea of stars being a part of the gag yeah um that's what i thought also set your soul free um so there was 
a bunch of stuff in there that um, it was almost like they were paying attention to that Yem blog conversation and saying like, ah, oh, okay, this is what people think it's going to happen. Let's just like dash all of your expectations with one show. Um, but the real, for me, the real distinguishing part of the show is once you get into the drowned, um, which was not only the first round in a few years, but a, an amazing version, um, which then got into Guy Forget for the first time in almost 20 years, the ass-handed and ass-handed reprise nonsense. So I think all of that kind of hijinks, um, you don't necessarily see that on a night one. Uh, and we didn't really see much, if anything, of of that across the, uh, across the fall tour. So um, to me, with this first show, they really were kind of making a statement that they were going to be a level above all that. Yeah, I can get behind that. And I, I also you brought up the point about the uh the gap on uh drowned and that was that was just like twenty eighteen actually, summer twenty eighteen, but it, it was like sixty one shows because they had a pretty big year last year. And Dogface Dogface Boy was uh first since uh, October twenty sixteen. Hundred and fourteen shows. Nice long gap. Yeah. I mean there were so many good jams in that second set. The everything's right. Set Your Soul Free, The Piper, and The Drowned were all like legit, legit jams. The The Piper was like very celebratory. And then that was all before we got into that Drowned, like you mentioned, Matt, which brought a lot of the the humor back into, which like it, it just had the right mix of everything you need in a fish show, like some nonsense, some really good jams, some really like good flow. It was just a really good way to start off the start off the run. Um and so, and Chuck does torture reprise, but with ass-handed lyrics, which is you know that's what I that's what I imagine they would do. Jonathan. So was it a uh, Chuck does torture reprise, or was it an ass-handed reprise? I, I'm going with ass-handed reprise. Um, <laughs> a the band labeled it that, and I've got to think that their thinking on that was that they deliberately wanted to, in the model of the Chuck Dust reprise, create an ass-handed reprise because we know how much Trey loves that. So. Um, I'm, the same, the I'm same chords the as Chalk Dust Reprise, right? Yeah, it was the same it's thing, the but same I think music. it's the same joke, just continued. But if they want to say like, oh, now we have an ass-handed reprise, I think that's what they were going for there. Yeah. I finally realized that I, I think I tweeted that I was listening to the 1229-18 show and I still like didn't care whether Wolfman's actually was party time or not. So I, I think I'm I think I'm officially on the side of like uh, it's just it's it's cool, guys. It's all just one write, thing. Yeah, write down whatever you want. Just make sure you save your notebooks. Okay, so the 29th, um, Jonathan, did you go to this concert? I went to this concert. Sweet, um, Jonathan. What what was the uh, was it like a normal MSG kind of? scene and situation to walk into did it feel like walking back into a a familiar place yeah um which is cool because you know i didn't get to msg until for the first time until just a few years ago because i'm lame um but it it felt (laughs) like that it felt just like that it didn't wasn't new year's but uh everybody was everybody was amped and everything was flowing well it was cold and damp outside and we were all happy to get inside and i went in early ran into a bunch of people in the halls. It was great. It's great. And then the first set, um, Trey to me, the whole, from the beginning of the first set seemed ready to like, just leap out. And, and I don't really mean jam. I just think he really wanted to rock. He wanted to tear into that guitar and he kind of did. So that was my, that was my lead thought through that whole set. Nice. Um, Matt, did you have any highlights on the first, the first set listening to 
because you're listening to the 29th getting ready to to go up the next night so what were you observing well i'm listening to the 29th on the train on the 30th uh had family stuff going on on the night of the 29th so i didn't even watch it in real time but um i will say it, it was funny uh looking at it, just going from Twitter, like I was following Twitter for the set list and stuff and couldn't tell whether they were playing the best version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps ever or the worst version um, because people were adamantly uh, uh, talking about it in both directions. Um, yeah. And Jonathan, I, so I want to ask you about that since you were actually in the room. I, I, I listened to it and I do think that the the guitar solo was ripping, but which, which of those camps uh, do you fall into? I, I fall into the best version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps was played by Prince at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This was <laughs> the best one that Fish has done. Wow. So I think the solo was outstanding. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was kicked a lot of ass, but, you know, it's just While My Guitar Gently Weeps. So there's no, it's not going out of the box. Um, and, and they did that pretty consistently through the set. Uh, MoMA dance was just dope. We danced our asses off, but it was straight. It didn't, no type two, none of that. Kill Devil Falls ripped. Yarmouth Road was good. Yeah, what? really good. Really good um, version. It, Beauty of a Broken Heart, good. Fuego, no real jam, solid Fuego. Good Good uh, home for Fuego, don't you think? Um, I'll take it set. right there. I mean, I if you're going to play like, it like that, you yeah. can play it anywhere. 10 really. minute Fuego, like just put it in the first set. It's a, it seems like a good spot for it. I, I thought that was really nice. I, I thought it was great. And of course, Walls of the Cave closing a set is, you just, you don't go wrong there. So, um, that was, that was terrific. Um, so we were set up. We, we, we rocked that set. We had a great time. And then, uh, set two comes along and we're like, well, Trey's ready to tear into some stuff. What's he going to get into now? And uh, so, of course, they opened with Carini, right? Yep. Yeah, I thought it was, man, that second set, every time I've listened to the Bathtub Gin, which is several times, which is the third song, I I, I always forget what song they're playing, you know, be- before yep. they go back into, because you got to finish it, you know, that's a new, that's like a newish Trey thing. Like, you got to finish these songs, because otherwise it doesn't count. So, <laughs> the like, but so far out there and, and very not i don't know type type six sort of jam but there's he, no but he there's no brought structure it back he brought, he brought it, back it back eventually well he didn't just like you know he's um crammed some of those closings in there from time to time uh, yeah. in the recent years but he, he brought that one back i thought reasonably well carini got out there um yeah uh, and back on the train right at the beginning of back on the train there was a moment where i felt like um Fish was going to do possum. Trey was clearly playing back on the train, but Fish started doing the little, just playing the drum, just a little, you know, I don't know how to describe it because I'm not a drummer. But then they all landed on back on the train. And Good for you that they didn't go into possum, you know? I'm a big possum fan, but, you know, somebody else got it. That's fine. But you had you had some major, major gems there, like the Carini, Bathtub Gin, Golden Age, we're all really, really impressive. Yeah, and the and right on through the drop into two thousand one, which was not a big jam, but it was it was groovy. Uh, Sneak and Sally, which was also really short. Uh, I I heard people say the next day that that could have gone on for twenty minutes more. I don't know if we needed twenty more minutes of it, but maybe maybe it would have liked. I'm sure I would have liked twenty more minutes of it. Um, 
I did not expect Chalk Dust Torture to come after we had just had the Kill Double Falls in set one. But again, Trey was feeling it. And to prove that he was feeling it, that Harry Hood. RJ, you are a big Harry Hood fan. I have thoughts on Harry Hood, but um, A, I want to ask you, did you not hear the Timberhoe type jam in this Harry Hood? And did you like this Harry Hood? Yes. Yes and yes. I thought the, the, yeah, the... It was interesting. We were ta- we were talking about this over text messages about the going from the minor to the major um, in the Harry Hood jam, which does seem to be something that they're going to do more often these days. But it does like it gets very timber ish in there. Um, was it was it official or did it just kind of sound like timber? I, I mean, it, we could declare it official. It's not on fish dot net or anything, but but well, I, we could according to I, our. But we independently heard that. So yeah. there's yeah. something there, right? Yeah. And then the, the the controversial thing, in my opinion, is using the woo to get back into, you know, the the main part of the jam. Mm-hmm. It was it was subtle, but it but it happened. I Matt, thought it was cool. Matt, do you have any problems with that? I think it. Well, here's my question to Jonathan: Was it? Did it seem like Trey was summoning the woo? The problem is that Trey can't do start stop without people wooing. Well, the, but there's he, I think there's and a difference. He knows though. it. I think there's a difference. It, it, what I'm getting at is when people just woo because there's a arrest, I don't like that, but you can see there's times when Trey is visibly trying to get the rest of the band to rest and to coax the audience into wooing. And that, in that case I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's what the musician wants and it's not just the crowd being like you know, lame. I, I'm not sure I read that either way. I was in 101 straight back at the far, like, but low, but straight back. So I couldn't read his face to know that. But um, I don't know. It felt very organic. There was wooing. Then they finished the They went to the, you know, to wrap the song. And then he played a note for like 20 minutes or yeah. something. Yeah. Held that for for quite a while. I thought it was awesome. I mean, it definitely builds the anticipation for I, the for the the climax, right? I mean, I didn't. I actually didn't stream any of the shows except the thirty first. But I assume that this was a pretty big big moment. It, it was big for me. Um, I heard talked to my friend Birdman Wendell uh, on the thirty first in the afternoon. What's up, Birdman? And, it's up one, and he uh, basically described my experience, which was that he was dancing. He hit the note, and he just kind of, you know, all but fell in worship to the note. And tears were coming down his face by the time they actually resolved it. And this is this is exactly what happened to me. It was, I felt it was extremely powerful, and uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of it. <laughs> so wait, can we go back to the While well, My Guitar and Gently Weeps just for a second? Because sure. from the recording, it, people were going absolutely nuts. I thought like, I thought George Harrison like came back on stage when I heard it. I was like, what's going on here? It was like, people were going nuts. But I, and I think that's, we're so like spoiled these days because they, they play so many songs per year that like something that hasn't been played in six years is just like people were going nuts. It was like as if they started playing Melt the Guns or something. I don't know. Well, it, it, is that different? It, it wasn't what, what frequently think, played when they, when they, even when they did play it, yeah. you know, six years ago, it wasn't frequent. And also worth noting, 
because I'm going to note it. I've never, I'd never even seen it before. So, you know, it, it was exciting. Yeah. Like crazy exciting. Um, and, it, you know, if they'd played A Day in the Life, I would have been excited, but I've seen that, you know, a bunch of times and more, they played it more recently. So I, I think that people had, I think that people are right to get excited about a, a, a drop like that. But our 14 show, oh no, that was dog faced. Um, 234. Yeah, 234 shows. That's a good, that's a lot of shows. Matt, are we spoiled? Are we like, or are we so spoiled that something like this is actually special? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's, we've kind of gotten used to bust outs to your, to your point. Um, I was a little surprised when I listened to the recording about the great crowd response, but neither of us was in the room. So you can't, you know, sometimes the energy of the room just sort of dictates how people deal with that kind of stuff. I, I think mostly in my mind, cause I just hadn't realized that they hadn't played it in that long. Cause they do play it with some sort of regularity. Um, but the thing, kind of what I was mentioning with this before was that like, it seemed to me like the composed part was a little bit sloppy, like maybe it was a little under rehearsed, but when you got to the guitar solo, the guitar solo was unbelievable and very characteristic of what I was talking about with Trey this this run. Um confident, you know, driving rock leads. And that kind of came out with the Harry Hood too, with the long sustained note, which is something that he hasn't done in a very long time. And I wonder if that's something that has, you know, if that's like related to whatever I'm hearing the change in his tone, that's a little bit more gainy or something like that, that he's, he's able to get to those places. Cause it's, um, it was just, it was fabulous. And I, I, he actually did another one the next night during tweezer. Um, yep. there was like a real, real long note, uh, during that one as well. Yeah. Also, uh, while I'm talking about personal stats, the, um, Hood and Chalk Dust are like my two most seen songs. So, of course, I got them both at the same night. So, that's pretty I, cool. Yeah. Back to back, Braj. <laughs> so, right. uh, real quick before yes. we ditch this show, the, uh, the encore, Show of Life. I want to thank everybody who left during Show of Life for all the dance room during that <laughs> really hot, uh, albeit not extremely long antelope. That was, that was really nice of them. What the hell so, is wrong you. with you people? My God. Don't leave until the lights come on and they get Trey off the riser. That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get to that in a second. Actually, we're going to get to the 30th um, in a second. But first, I want to tell you guys, it's 2020. And if you are still in this day and age, Jonathan, I'm looking at you using one of the big wireless providers. Have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between, Have I? <laughs> between expensive retail stores and all everything else, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay, Jonathan. I'm looking at you. Um, enter, enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you used to, but at a fraction of the cost. Because everything's online, so they don't have retail locations and overhead and pushy salespeople and all that. They pass the savings on directly to you. I've had Mint Mobile for months now, and um, everything's exactly the same. It's just much more affordable. So Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. You can choose between 3, 8, 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data, use your own phone, keep your phone number, all that stuff. So you can ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. So go to mintmobile.com slash hfpod to get a new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. That's mintmobile.com slash hfpod to cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Jonathan. Is that 15, you say? 15. 
Still. How about that? How about that? All right. So December 30th, nothing much happened. Um, unfortunately, Fish really kind of messed it up by not having a four-song second set. And um, that's kind of all I have to say about that show. Um, do you guys have anything else to say? Uh, I'll say that math doesn't matter and numbers are bullshit. How about that? <laughs> all <Wow>. right. So, <laughs> so, Matt, so there, buddy. So, Matt, this was your first show of the run and Jonathan's second and my zero still. So you get a Wilson opener. How do you guys feel about Wilson openers generally? Go ahead, Matt. Generally, um, you know, fine. Uh, I dig it. Uh, I think it's a good pump-up song. I think the 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 importance here is the nod right out of the gate to um, this being the 25th anniversary of the very first fish show at Madison Square Garden. Um, yes. This version of Wilson appears on a live one and is sort of the Wilson that most people know with the, the, the chant huge for the first time and stuff. Um, so there was a lot of kind of joy and high-fiving in the room uh, when th- those first two notes rang out. And, um, I, I don't, I like that they don't look backwards a whole lot as a band. And when they do, they're sort of very, very subtle, quick nods. You know, they, they played this Wilson and then they, they kind of went on with it. I heard a couple different people, like there were some songs off the table cause the last two shows, but like leading into the run, I heard a couple of suggestions of like, Oh, they should just like replay 12, 30, 94 on that night or something. And I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I like that. It's not they, happening. Like, they did this, they played Wilson and then it's like, all right, let's, let's jump ahead to the future and play like one of the newest songs in the final hurrah. Which was rad. Um, and then, uh, and then they got down into some rocking with uh 46 days, which I, we were boogieing, so we had uh, fair seats over in 110 looking right uh, right over at uh, Mike's Guns and Fishman going to work, and uh, <laughs> it was great. And uh, they played Curtis Lowe, which I hadn't seen for 20 years. And this, I think, we, you and I, I think, exchanged some notes, Matt, on uh, Twitter about this. I feel like this and Karina, Karina <laughs> this and Karina were nods to Big Cypress. These kinds of things, the history of the fish at MSG and Big Cypress are on their minds. I feel like they maybe gave us slight nods here to those things, which is not typical of what fish does. As you say, they don't really look back a lot. I agree with that. But, and I'm not convinced even by my own logic that this is what's happened here, but I'm pretty happy that we got those uh, in this show. Yeah, agreed. And maybe it's just because I have big Cypress on the brain uh, for obvious reasons in the last couple (laughs) months. But I I don't usually go there. Like, I'm usually the one shooting down the theories where, like, you know, people are like, oh, dude, like, they're playing this because it's big Cypress, whatever, man. But I was like, no, this seems very, like deliberate Curtis Lowe and Karina in the same set. Um, uh, and there was actually a lot of, and maybe this is the tinfoil hat part. There were a lot of like the big songs from big Cypress played in this run, um, you know, rock and roll and drowned and, uh, sand right after midnight and some stuff like that, that I thought was very cool. Once again, maybe it's just cause I have my brain in that, that space, but, um, some of that seemed like a little nodish. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and shoot that down. Um uh, other than drowned which has been kind of <laughs> off not off the table but kind of to the side lately. Those are all big songs that they play regularly. So they were all very probable. Those sand drowned, etc. are 
rock and roll. Why are you but, trying to ruin Matt's God life? God damn, dude. Because I'm, I'm that kind of jerk. Um, <laughs> but it was fun to turn the tables on him. Uh, but, but let's but, let us not skip over this blaze on yeah let's, yeah because this show is huge well, it would easily be overshadowed but this blaze on is killer yep. 17 minutes of killer absolutely that's actually yeah. my full comment yeah no it could have um that that could have been a, a best jam of the show if things had right? not gone the way they had in the second set and and would be a, a great 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 jam um but yeah, I mean, then after that, the Karina is a cool down, but fun. Um, Mike's contact groove, uh, about to run another guitar heroics song and more. And I just, you know, maybe it's just my first set of the run or whatever, but just the energy level throughout this whole set seemed unbelievably high. Trey's guitar was just even more than I could hear on the recordings from the first two nights, just out there and loud and gainy and just, just amazing. Um, so I was like, this is a great first set. I wonder what the hell is going to happen in set two. Like, can, can they keep it going? Right. They, they ended with more, which, uh, you know, seemed to is a very common set closer now. It, it, that's where it's you know often played, and it, it's a good wrap up to the set. And we had a good it's fucking break. awesome. Yeah, I, I know we we know you love that. It's and, fucking um, great. What a great yeah, song. I'm not knocking it. Uh, and yeah, we, we were all in that question, like, well, what what now? And so of course they come out and tweezer, and they just knock out a quick little tweezer, and uh, and that's you know, and then the show just kind of petered out from there, right? <laughs> pretty much yeah this tweezer <laughs> holy man, shit there's a lot going on there i think um there's probably a lot that we're gonna end up talking about in future episodes about this tweezer but to me there was so much of like different versions i heard like i heard a lot of hampton 2013 which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite tweezers yep. just sort of the yep. more contemplative yeah but there was also like the bliss and the i mean there there's you know dozens of segments i don't know I, I heard so much lots of different sections um i i i actually have not done a full re-listen of this one i've got to go back and sort of be ready to absorb it again but um yeah it was like by the end of it you just feel like they had played like 15 different little segments of jam um and 36 minutes you know just flew by flew by i thought maybe you know, if when I check the time, maybe it would be like 22 minutes or something like that. Um, and it just, you know, it was it was huge. It was exciting. Um, the whole room was just into it and hanging out on every note. The band seemed to be sort of um, proud of themselves. And I love the way that they ended it with, uh, I don't know what you call that little dun, 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 dun. The funny part was when they did that hearing what everybody yelled yeah, because everybody's... there's there's so many different like colleges and sports teams yeah. and stuff that use that that like i immediately as a as a penn state grad went let's go state and my my brother-in-law who is next to me shout out to uncle dan uh who we refer to on the podcast occasionally he yeah. i thought he did the very like um, bridge building thing of yelling, let's go fish. And so then like I made it a purpose with each kind of go around after that to try to yell that real loud. So we could try to unify the room instead of splintering everybody. I, I didn't know what to yell. 
I just listened to a lot of <laughs> rah, rah, rah. sound like you know cannibals <laughs> demanding sacrifice. If anybody gets that reference, that's a throw, um, that's a throwback. Good, good, good. Fall '97 reference, yes, Jonathan. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it's called "Let's Go Blue," but but I agree. It was it was my high school's thing, and we said "Let's Go Cougars." So like that seems better. That's too many syllables, dude. Let's I'm sorry. go blue is first of all. Just actually, never mind. Um, Let's not go there. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you are the proud recipient of the past three tweezers that have been played. Where I think the last three shows that you've seen, Dicks, the Met, and MSG. That is absolutely right. Yes, which is cool. So yeah. you've seen the last three tweezers, two of which have been multi multi tweezers. So you haven't you haven't missed a tweezer since you know. The last, actually, and you saw one in Camden too. So you've seen like most of the last several tweezers. I've gotten tweezered, which is, um, it's a good place to be. I like it. I'm always happy about it. Um, This one was, the Met, I was excited because of the tweezer fest and I thought it was well executed. It's hard to argue with this one and the hugeness of it. Um, And just that extra intangible that, you know, at the start of, you know, you look at the entire set now, um, and you can I can put go back to like the end of that tweezer. It's like, yeah, the confidence level that they had at that point uh, in the set was so high. There's no way that this set was going to go anywhere, but into a story of sound effects and weird references yeah. that could have killed a show, but instead it was like this tiny, tiny little crazy odd bridge. And the second yeah. they started up Ruby Waves, the place just went nuts again. Right. Everybody was, you know, everybody knows the Ruby Waves, you know, from Summer Tour. So they were, I think, keyed to that. That story, let's talk about that for a second, because obviously there's a connection to the New Year's gag that was maybe planting a seed, kind of a foreshadowing. But at the time, I thought this is surely just some some sort of gag they came up with during sound check. Trey says, you know, what's that? What's what's what are all the samples you have on there? You know, and fish says, yeah. Oh, I've got this one. That sounds like a clang. And this one, that sounds like a disco groove. And this one, and, and then Paige says, I've got samples too. And, and Trey says, well, let's make up a story with them because that's what he would do. Um, there was apparently there's a photo on the Twitters of somebody zoomed in on the notes on Trey's monitor that actually details the cues for the sounds. Um, and he didn't get through all of them on the 30th. He got through about half of them uh, when, of course, then he continued the story the next night. We'll get was that, that, but was that, that was separate from the teleprompter? There's no, there isn't one. Oh, oh, sorry. That's an, that's an inside joke. That's not yeah. funny to anyone except me and Jonathan. And, yes. Uh, um, well, okay, guys, real quick, Jonathan. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's all. Um, I, I was my only point was that it just it felt like that kind of like you know they're in in jokes brought to the stage, which it turns out it was more than that. But it really it was felt that kind of natural kind of ridiculousness that I love from this band. Yeah, I think it was definitely that was kind of what I thought and what a lot of people were talking about after the show was like, oh, this has to be some sort of setup for whatever they're going to do the next night. And I saw that picture, uh, Alex, uh, our friend from Philly, fish at MSG, among among other things uh, yes. online. I ran into him late night and he showed me a picture that he had taken from behind the stage of all the, the list of different cues and what was potentially coming. So it seemed like that was something that was definitely thought out and leading to odd things on the 31st that we'll yeah. discuss in I more sh- detail. should also say right below that were the lyrics to Steam. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't quite yell out to Tom to to get the next line. Tom wouldn't have heard him. Well, he, Tom would have heard him, but he wouldn't have heard Tom. He wouldn't have heard him back. All right. So I, I think as the as the architects of a two part tweezer episode, we need to spend a, a couple more minutes on this tweezer because it in my mind at least, this is one of the best versions of, of the past ten years. And now that we're ten years into 3.0 it seems appropriate to quickly go back and just kind of run through i mean to me this is this has got to be in the top five right there's there's so i'm just going to tell you that the few that come to mind for me are tahoe right there's 12 28 2012 which is really good the 10 2013 from hampton i think the one from atlanta 2015 magna ball msg 1 2 2016 and this seemed to be like the top of of 3.0 i think i don't know if this matches up with the tahoe tweezer in terms of its like you know size and importance but it, it seems to be up there i don't know if you guys have thoughts maybe it's too early i know matt you haven't even listened back to it but where, what's your what what do you guys think where does this stack up right now it stacks pretty high um i listened to it <laughs> i re-listened to it uh several times yesterday uh before i got to sleep um and it's uh you know it's just flowing grand music and this is what we want from this kind of thing from fish so uh, is it a, a corner that's been turned i don't really know i will say if you listen to it when you matt I, i'd be curious when you re-listen to it if you if you kind of keep your ear on this it felt to me at the time and in at least one of my re-listens that the, the band was you know, Trey it usually is looking for an escape hatch. Not usually, but often. After a while in these jams, he's looking for an escape hatch. And instead, he, you know, they modulated. The band rode with him, and they they didn't push out either. So that's, it's all about the patience. I don't know how deliberate this was, whether it was like, well, I don't know what else we should play. Let's just play a big, long tweezer so we have plenty of songs left. Or if it was... You know, backstage, Trey's like, "I'm feeling good. Let's go for this." And yeah, I, I can't even I can't even begin to figure. But I think it's important, uh, if only because now they'll they'll go. Yeah, we just did this back in December. Next time they go out on tour, and maybe they'll remember that they can they can do it, and maybe they'll want to. Yeah, I think one of the things that we learned from Trey in recent interviews and stuff is that. Um, you know, in the, the Alpine Ruby waves is a really good example that they came out and they started with Mercury and he told the story that he wanted to do a big jam and he thought it was going to be Mercury, but it didn't, it just didn't happen. They started playing Ruby waves and suddenly they're 36 minutes into Ruby waves. I think maybe that's the case here that like, you know, there was some discussion for whatever reason of like, Hey, let's go out and like, let's try to push this one long. Um, and it, they just happened to hit, you know, on the first one, they happened to, to hit the nail on the head. Um, I think, it, you know, once again, this is without a re-listen to this one. Um, I don't think that it hits the the peaks that Tahoe did, um, but it probably has close to the same level of exploratoriness uh, or exploration or whatever you want to call it. Um, but beyond that, I would pretty much put it a above every other tweezer in the modern era. Um, there's other ones that I like a lot for various reasons, like the, the Magna ball one with the Caspian has that enormous peak, but it doesn't do as much. Um, the tweezer fest from Merriweather in 14, the, yeah. the, the great tweezer from red rocks in 09. Um, 
but I don't. Th- I think it'll come down to Tahoe in this one in terms of modern day tweezers as being kind of the the kings. Yeah, I agree, and I, those are good versions that you mentioned, Matt. In addition to the the ones I touched on, I mean, there's a lot that's happened, and you know, it's funny thinking about this. We the whole premise of our two episode tweezer fest, which which I can link to, is that you know. As tweezer goes, so goes the band, right? Like in terms of representing jamming styles and direction and turning points. And I was uh, chatting with Brian from Beyond the Pond earlier, and he was mentioning many of those 3.0 tweezers that we just mentioned. And and all of those did happen to be big points in in the 3.0 evolution. So it's interesting what this what this like <laughs> signals. We have no, well, we won't know for what six months or, or longer and see what fish does next, but interesting to have a huge jam like this coming at the very end of the year, you know? Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens. We're going to stay at guys. Don't worry. We're going to stay on top of this tweezer trend. We'll, we'll let you know what happens as, as it comes in. I will say, I know we're not supposed to talk about other bands on this podcast, but it is notable that on the 30th, Umphrey's played a one song, one hour first set and played just played Ringo for an hour. I think that's pretty cool. I like those guys and that seemed like a pretty cool thing for them. So many bands were playing long songs on the 30th. Yeah, you know, uh Matt and I went to a show that after this that Yes. Night, uh, Tell us about it. That featured several bands, uh Garcia Peoples who I think they played mm, was it three songs? But included their One Step Behind, which is, you know, a 30-minute song on the record. Um, and then we saw that they backed Chris Forsyth, who came out. And so they were the band for Chris Forsyth. And they did a few songs in their, you know, 40-plus-minute set. And Riley Walker came out with his group and did w- one song. And that was, how long was his set, Matt? 40 minutes or something? yeah. At least. And then and then everybody came back out for the encore, which I left when it was probably 40 minutes in. And I know that they st- I think they still went for at least another five, 10 minutes past that. It was about five or yeah, somewhere between five yeah. and 10 minutes after you left that they finished. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. That was nuts. And shout out to all the uh, folks who came out to that one. Lots of Osiris. That was an Osiris uh, sponsored show. And lots of cool people were out there, came up to us, um, uh, you know, gave us lots of compliments on everything that we've been doing. Um, lots of friends of the pod, including Jesse Jarnow and Steve Hyden and Rob Mitchum and um, many, many, many other cool folks were out there. So um, it was uh, that was a really, really awesome after show. I, I was looking forward to that. And so much so that, like, even if the the fish show on the 30th had been a little bit of a dud, I still would have been excited. Um, And it was so cool going to that show and the conversation being like, can you believe what we just saw? Oh, and by the way, what we're seeing on stage right in front of us right now. So it was a huge, huge music day. Yeah, it was. I think I said to you, Matt, that I I was prepared for the possibility that fish would turn in a, you know, a par for 2019 show, which I'm sure would have been fun, but I was prepared for the possibility that that late night show would have been more fun for me, Yeah, more exciting, more exploratory. So uh, I was pleased that Fish gave me something huge to walk away with so that, you know, they, they, they could not be swept off the table. 
That's cool. I'm glad you guys were there. And it seems like everyone had a good time. That's awesome. There are many more of those types of shows to come. So let's talk about the 31st. I have a lot of observations from afar on the 31st. Jonathan was mostly on a train. Matt was at the concert. Um, I was actually home by then. <laughs> I just envisioned you on the train it. all day yesterday until <laughs> till after New Year's Eve. Um, all right. So I, I haven't seen the word shock so much in my Twitter timeline as as this morning with people who were absolutely shocked that anyone could believe that Trey was actually stuck. And so many people were so shocked that no one realized that it was part of the gag. It was just shock seemed to be the word of the day. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But um, this seemed like a really good New Year's show, Matt. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've only seen one actually, which is terrible. I shouldn't even say that out loud. But this seemed... The one I saw was fine. This seemed like a very, very good show. It was a very good show. And I think, you know, kind of going back to expectations and stuff, I've seen every New Year's Eve show in 3.0 except for one, the the second, most recent Miami. Um, And so I... And I've come to expect that it's probably not going to be the best show of the run. There's going to be a little bit of a formula to it, but it's a super fun night. Still love it. Love the excitement. And I really, as I've talked about in years past, I do love the gag, especially when they bring in like Broadway elements and stuff like that. It's, it just hits a, a note for me that you don't see all the time from Fish and I, I think is really cool. But um, the... You're right that in general, it was a really, really good show through two sets. Um, You know, the openers were great, high energy. It continued the theme that I saw from the 30th of just like great guitar playing, um, really great playing from all four members of the band. The Haley's Comet has to be the best one, maybe of 3.0. Um, yeah, it's definitely the longest since Bethel 2011. I mean, it and it was fantastic. And my my wife and I were there, and of course we were we were ecstatic uh, for our song, um, and and it was really awesome. Um, the, uh, the 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 story, like you know, they picked up the thread from the night before, and it, I was willing to go along with it if it had had some sort of like big impact on the gag. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about the gag. So it was like, it ate up this chunk of time where everybody, it got a little awkward in the room. People were like, all right, where are they? <laughs> Dickie, Dickie Scotland on stage. Like, yeah. Like, it, like so it was weird. just really, really, and it's such a bizarre reference to begin with that like people were kind of like, oh yeah, I think I remember this guy. And like, um, but it was, I recognized the name immediately at home and I was rolling. I was sitting in my lazy boy and just like rolling around and laughing at the whole thing. I thought it was ridiculous. I know it felt different in the room because it always does, but it, from at home, it was just ridiculous hilarity to me, which is again what I like from this band. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we got there. It was just like, why, why are they doing this? Well, it'll, I'm sure it'll play out in the third set. Um, the one exception I will say, Fluffhead was not a good version of Fluffhead. Um, I, I would just hope that they spend a little bit more time rehearsing that before the next time they play it. Cause it seems like a couple of versions in a row now that they just kind of bit, bite off a little bit more than they can chew with that one. Um, which, which I thought was like, I thought the maze was really well. Yeah. Maze was awesome. That. I liked the maze. Maze was awesome. But Fluffhead, it's all of the middle sections. They just couldn't, they couldn't quite get it together, but that was okay. That was really the only spot where I saw that happen. Um, the second set, 
Punch was awesome. Great, 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 great opener there. Um, Wolfman's Brother was awesome and exploratory and super, super fun. Um, Really, this run from like Wolfman's Light and particularly the twist. Twist was unbelievable. And I, I would call this, in terms of the stuff that I saw, this was the high point in terms of energy in, uh, in the room and peakiness of a jam. Like you, if you put this peak into the tweezer from the night before and it would be one of the best tweezers of all time. I mean, the place, it was one of those, like you, everybody around you is just going like, they can't push it much further. They can't push it much further. And you've got like 30, 40, 45 seconds of every single person in the room, hands in the air, jumping up and down, strobe lights going off. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable and, and definitely the high point of, of this, uh, of this show. Um, and then soul planet was great. Mercury was great. Possum was great. So like a really just like tight, energetic, awesome second set. I think this is like when people talk about this being one of the better um, New Year's Eve shows in a while, look at this set too. I think that's where you get it from, particularly if you were in the room and, and really just kind of vibing on, on all the energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you look back at this, you know, all four nights, you have at least two or three really, really energetic, high octane jams from every night that makes the this Fortnite run like different you know it wasn't just like oh yeah the 29th and 30th were awesere and the others were okay like the you know there there's several jams from every night that fall in the category that you were describing Matt which I just think is cool but back back to this this show so they close out the second set with possum which I'm sure made most people tired but some people happy <laughs> and then they like cleared the whole stage and I went to sleep and then some other stuff happened. Um, luckily, Jonathan and I are on a text chain. I woke up this morning when I woke oh up at, at six. I had 67 messages from that chain alone. But um, then Jonathan woke up several hours later. I woke up at uh, like 930 and there were 150 text messages on that thread. <laughs> we, we had a lot to talk about. But Matt, you were you were there. So what happened? They took all the stages away and... And what else? Yeah. So they started by striking the entire stage. Um, everything was on wheels. Uh, I think some people commented about that, like with Paige earlier in the run, like Paige, all of his stuff was on a, a riser the whole run. Um, they moved all of it out. But at the same time, they were moving these like cube partition things out onto the stage um, and kind of replacing things. Now I had seen something up in the lighting rig the night before. Yeah, I saw that too. Cause I was, I, I was kind of at like the same place, but opposite sides of the room both nights. And I think Jonathan, you saw it too. Like you look up and there was like a curtained off thing where there was like these pods that were hanging. Yeah. So from where we were in one ten on the 30th, it looked up and there were, looked like four cubes or squares. And at the bottom of each, there was a square of lights. Right. So we had those. And then they're bringing on the stage, they brought on eight cubes. And so are like, oh, okay, something's going to happen with these. But they didn't bring them to the front, which was puzzling. Yeah. it was. So it was like in the back, it looked like they were, like there was a tented off area behind the stage. And then they brought these things out and they were all, they had curtains over, like kind of draped things over them. And so it almost looked like there was some sort of little like set pieces at the back that were going to get revealed. And we also did notice as with some other um, 
New Year's Eve shows, there was a huge section of stage at, in the front too. Like in front of where the stage usually ends, there was another huge chunk of stage that made the band way further from the people in the pit too. Um, and that's where the the thing the things the pods came down for them to get onto and be and be elevated. Um, and then we saw them bring the acapella mic out to the center, and that was it. It was just like a bare stage. These all of these things curtained up in black drapes, and then this acapella mic, and we had no idea what was going to happen. And what happened? And that's, I was going to say, <laughs> and that's where we'll end, right? <laughs> End of story, watch the webcast, blah, blah, blah. No, so, like, so, I mean, to to get into it, like, I think by now everybody knows what happens. So, they had some sort of odd attempt at maybe bridging it back to the pan story from before, and, like, it was... Offstage. Yeah, like, it was an offstage. I don't know if it was them saying it in real time or if it was a recording or what, but, like... They did that, and they. The one other thing that we had noticed was that the the balloons in the ceiling were rainbow uh, colors, um, and so people were saying like, "Oh, maybe there's gonna maybe they're gonna make a rainbow on stage, and it's like a rainbow machine that's hidden under the curtain and stuff like you know whatever." Um, so they came out in their their outfits, their alternative kind of you know rainbow outfits, and sang. Uh, the piano music started and I immediately was like, this is send in the clowns. Uh, it would be so cool right. if they play that. So, weird. so they did send in the clones. The clones came in. It was absolutely hilarious. We were so close being able to see all of these people in the getups. And the funny things were like the weird juxtaposition. Like there was like, you know, like the black guy who was Paige, and like, there was like m- several different women who were mics. And like, I think there was a guy of like some sort of Asian descent who was like, a, um, who was a fishman and like really funny. Um, apparently one of the people that was a tray, uh, was I forget her full name, Joe, who was one of the backup singers in at the Bowie set with Celise and Jen. She was oh, wow. like the she was like the main tray, I believe. Um, so it was really really awesome the way that they put together this cast. It was really cool. And then so they're playing Sand, and it's stuff is moving all around. It's really cool, and. The, they all start to descend together and Trey's just stops and it didn't stop in like a graceful way. It kind of stopped and jerked and he looked around and the other guys kept going down and then it was like one corner of it kind of jerked again and the whole thing went tilted. And in that instant, I went, oh my God, it's broken. He's going to fall. And they got to the bottom and there was sort of this pause of like everybody's cheering, but Trey's still up in the air and the pause got awkward enough that people like there's balloons flying around. People are popping balloons and stuff. All of that just stopped. It was like very hushed in the crowd and people started to look up and the conversation turned to like, uh, I think he's stuck. What are they going to do? Are they going to, uh, you know, abandon the show? Do they have to get a ladder out? Do they have to have send people down from the ceiling? We You're could not s- going to put Trey Anastasio on a 30-foot ladder. That's uh, I, I I don't know if I tweeted that, but somebody suggested it last night on Twitter, and I was like, that, like, of all the solutions to this problem, that is not the one you pick. I just want to say that out loud for everybody. <laughs> but we, so in terms of, like, was it real or fake, 
in my mind, it was never part of the gag. And we could see down to the side of the stage. We could see the people with headsets running around in a commotion, coming up the stairs, trying to figure out what was going on. We saw a rigger um, jump up on the, the ladder at the side of the side of the stage and like start climbing up and go up into the catwalk. Um, there was a lot of people with very concerned looks standing at the side of the stage looking. And so, and, and we could see Trey's face and you could see on his face, he was like, this isn't, this isn't right. Now at the same time, I did know a, there's no way they're sending these guys up on platforms without having them tethered to the platforms, which is true. And if you saw Mike, if you looked at Mike's Instagram story since then, he showed video from rehearsal where he's like, look, I'm strapped in safety first. And he's actually like, they were clipped in, right? They were clipped in. It was, it was really slick. You couldn't see that they did it, but they were clipped in. So you knew like there wasn't going to fall. And also if they had any sense at all that like the rigging was going to break, the platform was going to fall or anything, they would have turned the emergency lights on. They would have evacuated people and they would have stopped the show immediately. So to me, the fact that they were standing up there, the trace stood up there was obviously taking some sort of direction from his monitor and was like, all right, Carm, let's just do it. I'll do it from up here. Told me that they were like situation safe. He's going to do it up there and then we'll figure out how to get you down afterwards. The funny thing was that when they started back up, the as the first off the the things started lift up for the other band members again, and immediately everybody around me was like, "Don't send the other band members up if he's stuck. Like, keep everybody right. on the ground." But then once they got up there, somebody behind me goes, "Trey, just jump onto Paige's ledge," <laughs> and like, <laughs> and then that actually wound up with Fishman's thing being the way that they got him down later. Um, oh, yeah. way to spoil the ending, man. Nobody's going <laughs> to watch like, the movie now. So, all right. So, thank you, Matt, for that. That that was a good explanation. So, but yeah, and I, just to summarize, this was not this was not part of the gag. Trey was stuck no up way. on a platform. It, there's no freaking way. And I'll tell you, if you if you need to to ask me, like for one reason why I know it was not part of the gag is that I could see Trey's face close enough from where I was that I knew this was not supposed to happen. You know, you could also, um, not disputing or even trying to back up what you said, because I think you covered it, but I think it's really interesting the uh, capacity for magical thinking that fish fans have, the uh, utter distrust of reality uh, when it comes to this band, because... Yeah, I've said it. I've said it a bunch of times. You never trust a prankster, and these guys are that. But this isn't one of those times. Uh, but it is still just amazing to watch the people who are just in total disbelief. Well, I mean, you know, they're like you were describing, Matt. What what would the security procedures have been if they decided it was unsafe? Like, who knows? None of us know. We have they no idea. They would have cleared the dancers off the stage. They wouldn't have been exactly. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. They were, but yeah, they were. They were underneath him. They probably would have evacuated people because they don't want anybody to see anything catastrophic to happen, which actually goes to something that I saw somebody say, which is like, oh, well, like they kept they didn't turn the house lights on at the end. Like they kept the concert lighting on while they got him down. That's not 100 percent true. What they did was they darkened the stage so that you couldn't see what was going on in case. And I'm, I'm just taking a guess here. I mm-hmm. think it was in case he fell. 
And the guys, the riggers, they had headlamps on. Riggers always have headlamps when they go up. They work in dark spaces. So these were professionals that were sent up to retrieve him. And it wasn't until Trey started joking around and making up the song and stuff that Kuroda turned the lights back on and kind of like made a joke out of it. But they, it was a very deliberate lighting change to like darken the stage and you couldn't see anything when they first went up there. Yeah, I mean, show was over when they're rescuing Trey. It's just, I think everybody... You know, they accepted people weren't going to leave unless they unless they had an evacuation. If they have an evacuation, a people aren't going to leave, and b those are those can be dangerous, honestly. So better to just address the problem, let everybody see he's done, it's done safely, he's done, he's down, great, and then of course leave it to Trey to make a joke out of the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, the the internet <clears throat> the internet conversation about it was fascinating to me because. I'm pretty sure the vast majority of the 1,700 people who voted in the poll that I put up today about whether Trey was stuck or not are not experts in, you know, engineering, liability, you know, litigation, stagecraft or anything. But there were some serious theories like, well, MSG wouldn't have let them continue to play if he was in an unsafe position. And I think a good counterpoint is like, I'm sure that Fish had to obtain some sort of very serious additional insurance just to bring a bunch of floating platforms into MSG in the first place, right? Like, there's there's many layers of things that it, it's not as simple as, like, Trey's stuck, turn on the lights, everyone go home, or, yeah. like, it's part of the gag. Like, there's layers and layers of complication and safety procedures and, and probably, like, layers of safety precautions that we don't even know about, right? Where, like, he was probably stuck up there, but they realized that there were actually a few other things in place that were going to make sure that nothing catastrophic happened. So, um, we, we did, we did ask people and right as of right now, 1700 votes, we, we had four options in the poll. Um, in last place with the, so the question was, was Trey actually stuck? Uh, last place with 4% of the votes was who is Trey? Um, second place with, <laughs> with 5% of the vote is please leave me alone. <laughs> Um, 11% is part of the gag noob. And then 80% of people said definitely stuck. So I think you guys agree. I I just think it's so fascinating. And, and I think something you said earlier today, Jonathan is like part of the magic of it even being a, a question is so great. And I think 35 years into their career, just even putting the thought into something like this without the malfunction or the, or with the gag, whatever, it's incredible, like really incredible. And I don't know, Matt, the rest of that set I thought was pretty fucking good. They they kept playing, you know, and it looked to me like Trey was had a weird, like wider stance as he was playing, as he was trying to like keep it all going on a moving platform. <laughs> yeah, he um he did a couple of things. He had the wide stance, which I couldn't see as well because we were kind of like looking up at him. Um he at first he I, I mean, listen, I'm he not took a knee. So yeah, I mean I'm a, I'm afraid of heights and I immediately when I saw that, I mean, it made it made me nervous that all four of them were up like that. Um, but I, I immediately was like, if this happened, I would be laying down. I would just lay down on the platform because I wouldn't want to risk falling off. Now, once again, he's tethered to the thing, but you still don't want to have that type of experience. But he, at first he grabbed the mic, the mic stand and he was trying to steady himself with the mic stand, which is like a valiant thing to do from a rock star perspective, but also your mic stand is just as wobbly as you are. <laughs> probably <laughs> more so. Probably more so if you've used a three-footed, you know, uh, 
you know, mic stand, those things are a pain in the ass to, to keep steady if they go wobbly. But then like, but then yeah, a bunch of times he did like, I think particularly like when lights started to get intense or anything like that, he would like kneel down to bet to get himself kind of balanced and like work his way back up into like a wide stance and play a little bit. Um, so it was, I mean, valiant effort. He's an unbelievable professional for putting up in that. I would have gotten to the fetal position and said, nope, show's over. Everybody go home while I get retrieved, you know, using some sort of crane or something. Um, th- but I will say I had this experience because I think the guy's amazing and because I'm a little afraid of heights. I think a lot of people had the same thing. I had a very difficult time trying to enjoy the rest of the set because I just was, I was very nervous about what was going to happen. And I was staring up at him, like kind of worried for him. And that kudos once again they made jokes about it they kind of kept people at you know at ease um and the whole rescue squad sequence at the end was so tray and so funny that it it sent everybody off with a good feeling i think um but it was it it was just not you know and unfortunately put a little bit of a damper on the third set now the funny thing is that i actually as i was watching all this stuff go on with the clones and the singing and everything my my feeling was even if this hadn't happened, I don't know how the gag would have gone over because I kind of pictured in my mind people talking about it being like show choir fish or, you know, fish goes glee or whatever with some of the stuff. And surprisingly, the number of people that I talked to in the last 24 hours and travel and stuff were all kind of like, man, that gag was so awesome. It's a shame that it kind of got ruined by this platform sticking. Um, so I think, you know, big thumbs up to the fish organization and, you know, to Trey and Carmel and everybody that involved it. It seems like they really did put something awesome together. Um, it just had, you know, a production glitch. Yeah, I thought it was a, a great gag. It was fun to watch, um, aside from the obvious terror. Um, I also loved the joke when Trey said, well, I could do the uh, Van Halen stage dive. Eddie Vedder. Pro- Eddie Vedder, yeah, yeah. Eddie Vedder stage dive. And he and uh, he said, I'd probably get killed. And Fish says, no, you'd probably just get maimed from that height. Yeah, well, and everybody that was, was talking about that too. Like somebody, yeah, I said somebody yelled, just jump onto pages. And every, other people were like, trust fall, trust fall. You know, oh, God. they could have had all the clones get out under him and like hold their arms out. <laughs> I thought so it was I, good. I, I also saw a um, wildly unsubstantiated rumor that next year's gag will consist of a single confetti cannon. So uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I was thinking, I mean, before I even saw the platforms, I'd, I'd heard about it, but I watched the third set this morning and I was just, again, so impressed, like. The, the clones thing I thought was cool. Like the whole thing kind of brought me to tears because of how much thought and effort they put into this, this far into their career. Like they don't, they could just wear wigs or whatever and come out and play three sets. They, they don't, they, they could just do nothing. Yeah. They don't even come out and the play. Wigs. They, they could can. just play two sets. They didn't even have to play till midnight, like end at 1159 and say happy new year. And they'd still make millions of dollars and people would still, you know, they still sell out Madison square garden. So I just think it's so cool that they're still trying and still pushing the envelope musically and just like entertainment wise, like you said, Matt, sort of turning this into like a theatrical performance is just so fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, think about how much money they spend on this, right? I mean, like to have all of the the platforms and all that stuff to be to be built to be. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that like 
Popak's build to take out on an entire tour where they're going to play 200 gigs throughout the entire world and they can justify the cost and fish does it for one night to be funny. I mean, that's one that, that's, that's yeah. absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And they, they, uh, I, d- I do want to give a shout out to our friend Patrick who had a, has a valiant effort at being the staunchest and loudest defender of this, definitely being part of the gag and, um, feeling very strongly that that this was part of the gag, and I know there are others out there who feel that way. So send us your thoughts and you know um, theories on Twitter, or email, or whatever. Um, we want to hear from from everyone. But um, so much shock. Everyone's in shock. The people are in so much shock that they couldn't <laughs> that this couldn't possibly be a gag, and so much shock that anyone could believe it wasn't a gag. So anyway, um, guys, what what's like a, a takeaway you have after this four night run? Um, Jonathan Fish is a really cool band still that's it I mean that's really all. they they can come out <laughs> they deliver and uh, God bless them I'll yeah I'll add on to that I mean I have to laugh a little bit when you have you know once again a fall tour that I felt was a little bit underwhelming I think a lot of people felt the same way and they immediately oh fish is over they're phoning it in what you know whatever it's just it's they're not the same band anymore and then they can come out and do this kind of a four-night run and i don't know if it's deliberate because of fan feedback they heard or their own confidence level or whatever but they get right into four nights of killer killer music uh and all i can say is i'm stoked that we're going to mexico man because uh this is this is a band i want to keep saying oh rub it in thanks you yeah, too. Think, you too. We're gonna smuggle you, dude. You're going, <laughs> Jonathan. If you switch to Mint Mobile, maybe. Um, so, <laughs> I was really sad that I couldn't see any of these shows, and I texted Matt and Jonathan whining a few days ago. But actually, looking like just being able to listen and watch from here is is so cool that so many people. It's it's interesting to go. I haven't missed a New Year's run, at least one show or or two shows, probably ten years, but. Just to see the people on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just how many people like plan their entire fall or holidays around this experience and, you know, with friends and family and or by themselves, they take trains and planes and it's just so cool to watch everyone go and everyone leaves so happy and we're just really lucky, man. And we're really lucky to get this kind of experience 35 years into a band's career. It's incredible. So I, I feel lucky to be a part of it. But you stayed home. I did. <laughs> but yes. we. But I'm going to Mexico. Hey, you are a part of it, Jonathan. Hey, oh, that's Olé. Funny. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be back with more episodes of the Helping Friendly Podcast soon. And uh, thanks, everybody. Give us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you, wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks, everybody. Make sure you check out the show notes for Freak Flag Flying and and to check out the Goose Show and the other stuff we mentioned in the episode. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all soon. Jonathan, Matt, thanks. Glad you guys had a good time. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Keep on rocking.
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. <laughs> 